Hey gang, it's John. I'm just checking in to let you know that the episode you're about to hear was recorded well in advance of the mass outbreak of coronavirus, aka COVID-19. Um, because of that, you won't hear any reference to it in the episode. It might otherwise come across as odd while we're in the middle of a global pandemic to act as if this thing isn't happening. It's literally the biggest news in the world right now. That said, your friends at Gabagool and Roses encourage you to engage in the kind of social distancing that will keep this threat, this virus, from spreading, making things much worse. To that end, we've got some recommendations of some other HBO shows you might want to watch with your dad's HBO Go account. I recommend Armando Iannucci's Avenue 5, which is very funny, as well as the show High Maintenance. Rachel recommends True Detective, seasons 1 and 3 only, Sharp Objects, The Outsider, and a big reco to The Night Of. Rachel says that Riz Ahmed is very hot. Ben answered my text by saying that he is currently watching the first season of Westworld. And yeah, it's pretty good. You should check that out too. All right. Enough of that. Please take care of yourselves. Take care of everyone else. I love you. How long did it take for the guy to come? <laughs> All right. Hello and welcome to Gabagool and Roses, the only leftist Sopranos podcast. I'm John. I've seen The Sopranos a bunch of times. Neither of my co-hosts have ever seen it before. I'm joined, as always, with... Rachel. And Ben. And today we are talking about uh, Season 1, Episode 8... Yeah. Episode 8 of The Sopranos, <laughs> which is called The Legend of Tennessee Multisanti. <laughs> and uh, let's get into it, gang. Uh, first impressions, Rachel, what did you think of this episode? Um, I thought there was a lot of good stuff in this episode. You know I love our boy Chris, so I was excited to see his ridiculous character development. <laughs> Heavy Chris uh, energy uh, in this episode. Big Chris time. Yeah. Uh, ben, what did you think? Uh, yeah, it was, it was interesting. I've got a lot of, uh, a lot of complaints about this one, so. Ooh. Okay. You did text us and say that it was a weird episode. That's right. Uh, the weirdness starts right away with the Mm -hmm. dream sequence of Chris in the port store. Um. It's a Lynchian nightmare. (laughs) For Mm -hmm. for sure. (laughs) Yes. Uh, there's another, so... Part of the dream sequence imagery here is uh, it's Adriana on her knees eating a big sausage and then she bites it off and then it's Carmela. Oof. Um, which is the second time uh, Tony also had the dream about the birds stealing his penis that he talks to Alfie about. <laughs> mm-hmm. These guys have a lot of issues with their masculinity. Oh boy. And uh, <laughs> it's clearly. Uh, Clearly seen in their subconscious. I mean, that's what this whole episode is about, I think, is Chris's insecurity about his masculinity, which comes through uh, via anger and jealousy and weird, uh, uh, I don't know, 
he's just he's pissed off because he like connects manhood to being in, uh, in the mob and he's mad that he's not a popular mobster yet mm-hmm. right that's right. the theme yeah he's having a clearly like a crisis of personality or or whatever yeah um and struggling with depression a bit um and we'll talk about that <laughs> yes i'm excited um so uh do we want to just go through the chris storyline first why not that's the big that's the big news that's the big one so um uh, anything else on the the dream sequence it, so that he's he's being haunted by uh email or a meal um the guy who he, he kills in the very first episode yeah and there's severed limbs uh helping him you know make sandwiches and change out uh, ingredients i guess and there's also he asks the severed limbs to throw away the the shell casings or the or the rounds. It's a very weird little dream sequence. Um, it's funny that just I think last episode we recorded or the one before, uh, the one about with the flashbacks in it. I said that I like flashbacks more than dream sequences. Yeah. And here we go with dream sequences. So and and I agree with you. <laughs> yeah, I think for the time, I think The Sopranos was doing this before a lot of other shows, and I think it's one of those things that's been copied to death at this point, that it's almost a um, the flash- cliche. The flashbacks or the dream sequences? The dream sequences. I felt like it was out of character for the show. I felt mm-hmm. like the dream sequence was like, I don't know, it was almost too bizarre for the show, whereas the flashbacks are like still, I don't know, it still feels real. The dreams are just like hitting you over the head with psychoanalysis <laughs> i mean you know I, I think that in the the way that episode four began if you remember tony in this weird interaction are you drinking a, a drink i have some water on the side Damn. to keep anyway. my vote my voice nice and, you're and moist drinking a drink. you're drinking a drink dude okay good point so, I'm, I'm holding the mic away from it when holy I do it, shit so. wow you, All right. Uh, you chew gum. Yeah, you chew gum on the fucking podcast I think before. I need popcorn. Uh, but anyway, the, great. The, Excellent. The point is, like, back in episode uh, four, the way that that, that episode began, uh, Tony was having a, uh, a very strange interaction with Dr. Melfi, uh, and then he walks out of the waiting room after seeing Hesh stroll by on what appeared to be a uh, scooter. Um, he was like walking or anything. He had a hoverboard, an early right. prototype. Yeah, and and it, it, sort of strange camera work, uh, zooming in while rotating to the side, and you got to see that the person who was actually sitting in Melfi's chair was actually Livia. So you know, I, I think uh, just to push back on on you, Rachel, I think you're wrong. <laughs> and Thank Ben you. is once again off the podcast. Yeah, no, I mean, just like, like these are very, very strange fl- or, uh, dream sequences, though. <laughs> I, I completely agree with your analysis that they're uh... Lynchian. Yeah, no, they are weird, and, and it is like we continue to see dream sequences where the women in these characters' lives are interchangeable. It oh. starts out as one woman, and then it becomes a different woman. Big. Oh, you're right. I never thought about that. Yeah, it doesn't do that as far as I can remember with the male characters. So that's I think that's a little telling as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Seems like seems like these guys might uh, not uh, value women so favorably. What? Are you canceling these <laughs> grease balls? Seems like they might be kind of shitty. Not these fucking douchebags. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, these are not good people, and they're dr- even in their dreams, they're bad. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, all right. So uh, that's Chris's dream. <laughs> We next move into the wedding. Oh no, no, I'm sorry. I, I've written notes Chris. chronologically, but let's, um, yeah, sorry. Let's do uh, let's do Chris's storyline. So, well, um, he's in the wedding too. Yes, yeah. He brings an unwrapped gift, which is just like <laughs> fuck off. First of all, we find well, we find right. out later that he stole it, so he can't computer. even fucking wrap it. Jesus. Right, he doesn't wrap it, uh, and it's so good. He bought one for himself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which um, is something you love to hear when you're getting a gift. Yeah. Mm-hmm. While we're at the wedding, I do want to talk about at the in the receiving line. Uh, Tony brings Livia to the wedding, <laughs> and she's talking to Larry Boy, and she goes, "Are you still seeing your other women, Lorenzo?" <laughs> and he's like, makes a motion, like locks up his mouth with a key or whatever, and it's like, Jesus, Livia, you yeah. are just the worst. <laughs> Put this guy on blast at his daughter's wedding in front of his wife. <laughs> at first, like, I I was hoping they were just being flirty, and like that's what you know, like, Livia yeah, was, was pretending <laughs> to be like Livia's. <laughs> Livia and Tony's friend. Yeah, well, you know how like. Oh, it's cute sometimes. Oh. Yeah, like how I flirt with my friend's moms. Uh-huh. Right. You know yeah. how you do. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. But yeah, that that was good. Good for her. <laughs> Tony, I'm sorry. She's getting worse <laughs> as she gets older. The older she gets, the worse she is. <laughs> yeah. But what we learn in at the wedding, uh, what Lorenzo, uh, what Larry Boy has learned, is that federal indictments are about to come down. And so all these mobsters that are at this wedding start freaking the fuck out. Um, included among them is Chris, who says, they're going to want my ass. I can't remember. It's Jimmy Altieri calls him on it. It's like, when did you get your button? Like, you're not a made man. Your wings. Uh, yeah, your wings. Uh, yeah, so Chris is dumb. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they all decide they're going to go do some spring cleaning, uh, which leads to my favorite scene at the wedding, which is Big Pussy taking his money back out of the wedding gift bag <laughs> while the bride cries at her wedding because <laughs> he's, he's worried he's going to have to lamb it, so he needs that money. <laughs> so yeah. he takes it, and then everyone leaves the fucking wedding, which is so sad. Yeah. And just, again, not subtle. Like, imagine if they are being surveilled, people are going to see them all leave at once. Like, please be less obvious. Mm-hmm. So um, so then Chris, Chris's journey next, we see him. He is uh, typing on his stolen laptop. Oh, my God. His screenplay that he's working on. Which is called Made Man. Right, and it is hilariously bad. <laughs> uh, not just in terms of like the misspellings, which are bad, but the dialogue is garbage. <laughs> and as Chris tells Adriana, he's starting with the dialogue before the story. Inexplicable. <laughs> Mind-boggling. Yeah. I was like, I didn't know that that's how you could write, but okay. <laughs> right, it's like trying to do a puzzle with all the pieces upside down. Like, this, you're making it so much more harder on yourself, my guy. Um, yeah. 
But I think this is something you see a lot in uh, modern TV and in like prestige TV, especially. Drink. Uh, is that uh, writers love to write about writing. Uh, there's no reason Chris needs to be obsessed with movies and TV and stuff other than that he's being written by yes. TV writers. Wow, that's real. Right. And, and we see there's there's a few other references throughout the episode I want to point out to like screenwriting and to like mm-hmm. movie writing and stuff. There's a lot of references to it actually, but um, we see uh, um, Adriana come and, and try to to comfort him when he thinks he's deleted his whole script. Yeah, and she just controls Z's it or whatever. <laughs> right, right. Undo. Which God, it's it's so good that that's not a, a thing you have to worry about so much anymore because that was a real. Like losing your whole fucking paper or I have whatever. definitely had that experience. I have definitely lied about having that experience. <laughs> yeah. Same. And then Adriana uh, says my favorite line, and it's just a little bit... Uh, you, you might miss it if you don't listen carefully, but she calls Chris her little Tennessee William. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Miss the S. I rewound it just to make sure. Right. I was like, did, did I just not hear it, or did she call him Tennessee William? Which I honestly, brilliant on the writer's part. Yeah, very good. Uh, and, that, and that's the, the reference from, wit, from whence the title comes, The Legend of Tennessee Multisanti. Um, Tennessee Williams, of course, famous playwright. Have you all ever read any Tennessee Williams? Because I haven't. I read The Glass Menagerie just last fall. Okay. Streetcar Named Desire. Yeah, I've never read it. In uh, high school. Okay. All right. So that's what he's known for. And I guess Adriana's also clearly a big Tennessee Williams fan. Shout out to my mom who loves Tennessee Williams. Okay. (laughs) Tennessee Williams is a good name, actually. (laughs) If you're like a if you're like a a race car driver or like a country music star country music star Tennessee, Tennessee Williams is William good Boyd <laughs> I'm gonna name my kid that <laughs> Tennessee William Weasel Quest Oh yeah yeah but Chris is uh, so so the next next we see uh, Chris is watching the new well he's watching TV and then the bartender. Georgie. Georgie. Georgie calls him and um, and tells him to turn on Channel 6. And he turns it on and they're talking about Brendan Falone getting shot. And they call him an associate. And, and, a, and a soldier. And a soldier. And, and Chris goes fucking nuts. Hold on. This, this whole news report to me was so confounding. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, first of all, like, you get this, you get this newscaster who's talking about the New Jersey Attorney General's office having impaneled a grand jury to investigate mob activity in the Garden State and uh, the Attorney General believing that indictments will be handed down soon, which if anybody uh, knows anything or has listened to the Serial podcast, I don't know if that needs to be plugged, but... Um, there's an excellent reference in season three about how a prosecutor could indict a ham sandwich. Right. Definitely the truth. Anyway, the point is, to me, hearing this story about um, about a prosecutor going on record as you know, talking about who <laughs> the topics <laughs> of their grand jury are and the indictments that are going to come down, 
is just completely fucking insane. But anyway, that's that's been Ben's law minute. Um, I think we should. I think it, it, once we get through the recap, I do. I think I have a lot of questions that I hope the the listeners will also um, have about law stuff, so we can okay. dig into that. All right. Um, yeah, no, it, it is confounding, and, and and I think the um, the news report says that like he talked about it at a fundraiser, which yeah, yeah Ben, you're right, you're right. These are things are supposed to be secret, and it's it's very dumb mm-hmm. uh, that he would be out there doing it, and then also like very dangerous that the news would be reporting about it, and that they have a uh, like organized crime uh, expert on deck, like yeah, <laughs> ready to go. Anyway. Okay. Uh, so Chris is clearly like he's jealous. He's very angry that he is not going. He's not the one that everyone's talking about. Uh, Chris goes on a little bakery adventure. Oh my god! Um, he's, he's still working on his on his screenplay, and he's got to be loyal to his capo, right. um, spelled L O Y L E. I've got to loyal. be loyal to my capo. Which he says in response to a character named Beautiful Girl. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, I wish that I I want to read the whole script. I would love to read that script. So let's do the Christopher Moltisanti uh, challenge. Let's write scripts like Christopher. <laughs> no, I have things to do. <laughs> Listener, please write a script like Christopher Tennessee Moltisanti and send it to at Johnny Awful's DMs. Right. We can we can do this hashtag this, Tennessee Moltisanti challenge. We can do a little Twitter challenge. All we'll right. get people to write a yeah. two hundred and whatever fucking character. Script. No, it can only be nineteen pages out of the hundred twenty. Right? Is that a lot or a little? I don't Getting know. ahead of it a little bit. Uh, so yeah, so next yeah, so so Tony calls um, Chris and tells him that they're doing spring cleaning at the strip club and to go get some Italian pastries, some Shriadel, some cannolis, and some Napoleons and bring them to the guys. So Chris does. He goes to the bakery and w- there's like a weird time lapse of him just like sitting and waiting and waiting and waiting while all these customers are in front of him. Like three, right? Three customers. It's not that bad. But it's finally his turn, and just as he's about to go, this uh, dude walks in, and the show calls him Gino. Interestingly enough, this actor will come back and play a different character named Vito later in the series, but... Wait, Gino? Like, the guy, the the other customer, or the... Big old fat group? guy that comes in okay. right at the end. That's Gino, uh, who will later come back as Vito. Uh, later in the series, just a little, a little Easter egg. Um, this shithead who's behind the counter, uh, played by Brian Garrity, uh, who is also in the movie Flight and um, oh fuck, what's that movie? Uh, uh, the Hurt Locker. Um, so I was like, I think I recognize that guy. And yep, that's him. So this is one of the first things he ever did. Uh, anyway, uh, he's he's gonna skip Chris in line and. Uh, Chris throws a temper tantrum about it. You mean I can, if I can fuck your sister and come back uh, on Saturday, I'd go to the front of the line? Which, right. you know, just a great way to, you know, ingratiate yourself with anybody. 
Well, Chris is a master at conflict resolution, <laughs> and we really see that on display here. Mm-hmm. In a in a sense, I, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I it's really interesting. The scene is like again hitting you over the head with the. Uh, insecurities that Chris is dealing with and there's the moment where he pulls the gun on the guy and he says what did what does he say what do I look like a pussy to you and and the guy is like no because he's scared but then Chris is like kind of has a moment of genuine like genuineness and he's like you can tell me like tell me the truth and you you know he's asking because he genuinely wants this guy to, like, tell him right. that he, you know, it's just, it's so fucking stupid. And it's like, no, this guy's not going to tell you the truth about anything. Also, what does that fucking mean? Do you look like a pussy? Like, fuck off. Um, and he's just full of this, like, rage that stems from his insecurities and his inferiority complex. And he takes it out in the dumbest fucking way. Right. And especially when they're they know that they're about to to possibly get indicted. You're running around shooting fucking people in bakeries. Like, maybe don't. The choices Chris makes are terrible this episode. Like, yeah, yeah, these indictments are coming down. Everyone's, like, cleaning house and trying to get rid of all this evidence. And Chris is doing everything he can (laughs) to get in the fucking newspaper. Yeah. And how old is Chris? Do we know that? Um, I think we're supposed to think, like, maybe, like, late 20s, early 30s. I, I think maybe even early 20s, to be honest okay. with you, because he yeah. acts like a fucking idiot child. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Um, so, it ends with him shooting the poor pastry boy, the Pillsbury Doughboy, in the foot, uh, which is a reference. And then uh, the guy goes, you shot me in the fucking foot. And he says, that happens, which is a reference to Christopher... Or, not Christopher, Michael Imperioli's character in Goodfellas plays a waiter who gets shot in the foot, plays Spider. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's a, an explicit reference to that uh, famous scene from Goodfellas where Joe Pesci shoots him in the foot. That's the, uh, what, what do I look like, a clown to you for the amusement of children? Yeah. Uh, that's Michael Imperioli in that scene, wow, folks. Okay. Right. Yeah. So, so, yeah, then he leaves. He goes back to the guys in the strip club. He brings the... <laughs> We get to see Polly for the first time in this episode. He's pissed. Christopher comes and he drops the Shria, the Shria Del, which I had to look up. I didn't know what that was. It's like a lobster tail. Um, oh, they're good. They're mm. very good. It looked very good. Um, it's like a, a cream puff kind of a thing. Anyway, uh, he, he throws it on the <laughs> pool table and Polly's like, oh, the Shria Del. And, uh, and they're like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Uh and he's just, uh, he's having a real crisis of confidence. He's pissed off. He's acting out in front of Tony and the rest of the, the made men. And so Tony says, get it together. Why don't you and Georgie go sweep for bugs in the bathroom? Tony does that thing where he, like a mama cat, grabs the scruff of Chris's neck. <laughs> and he's like, you gotta fucking chill out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, so then to, uh, so then Chris goes and, and sweeps the bathroom with Georgie, and Georgie is just intention, unintentionally rubbing it in to yeah. Chris, like, oh, I saw Bre- when they said Brendan Falone on TV, it made the, all the hair stand up on my neck, and Chris is just sitting there seething while <laughs> Georgie is like crawling under the toilets and stuff in a strip club yeah. bathroom, <laughs> which. Oh my Ugh. god, you need a new fucking job. Can we get a yeah. new job for Georgie where he doesn't get the shit beat out of him and treated like ass? He has all the to time? do all the Charlie work. 
Well, <laughs> it's the Charlie for sure. Uh, that's not all the terrible things that Georgie gets into this episode. Yep. Uh, so that's <laughs> what happens next is Chris keeps freaking out about email, and so he and Georgie go to dig up his fucking corpse. Um, and it's been a good amount of time, which the show goes out of its way to tell you by showing that email has grown a beard and his fingernails are long like a woman's. Uh, mm-hmm. Weird line. Uh, and Georgie is puking all over himself because um, they're going to dig up the body and move it to the Pine Barrens, uh, which... Um, Shout out to the Pine Barrens. Don't know what the fuck that is. Pine Barrens are like uh, woodlands in New Jersey that are known for being like mob burial grounds. Shout out. <laughs> uh, so then... What happens to Chris next is he's sitting at home brooding again, working on a script, and Polly comes over. Uh, and Polly is kind of well. Polly has gotten Chris. I, I, I assume a sex worker. He says that they've oh, yeah. got two girls in the car. We're gonna go get our dick sucked or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, Polly is actually kind of sweet in this scene. Like he's concerned about Chris. He wants to know what's going on with him. Um, and Chris is having like this existential crisis of like, what is my place in the world? Um, but of course, because this is written by television writers, it is framed as "What is my arc?" Yeah. Um, I, uh, Rachel, you have something you want to th- say? About this that? reminds me of um, so one of my favorite podcasts, Hollywood Handbook. Uh, Hayes. Shout out! Shout out to Hollywood Handbook. Hayes Davenport was talking about how in TV shows, often you'll see like people with regular jobs, like doctors or something, have. Um, like meetings where their assistants are ordering food for them and (laughs) that's not usually how most people do their lives that's just what writers rooms do (laughs) so it reminds me very much of this thing that like people in writers rooms are completely fucking divorced from reality and you it comes through also, they're fucking nerds, because th- I do want to talk about this. Uh, there's some meta stuff going on, because one I don't remember who it is, but one of the characters is talking about mob movies. Mm-hmm. Oh, is it um, Jennifer's Muffy's son? Yeah. yeah. They're talking about mob movies, and they specifically mention Goodfellas and uh, The Godfather, and that is a fucking nerd fucking meta little yes. Easter egg, because, of course, as you just mentioned, there is a go- Goodfellas Reference. Right. Lorraine Bracco <laughs> is in Goodfellas. Yes. Uh, and they're talking about Goodfellas in that scene. So, Polly is concerned about Chris um, and talking to him about what, what is his arc. Uh, and Chris was like, do you ever feel like nothing good is ever going to happen to you? And Paul, this kind of made me sad. Polly's like, yeah, and it never did. Oh, my God. Nothing good ever happened to me. It's like, Jesus Christ, my guy. The more we learn about Polly... I, I think that's an accurate self-crit of his life. Like, it's kind of sad. I mean, we don't see... He doesn't have a, a wife, Does um, a family. He doesn't as, have kids. Does that count as self-crit if he's just like, yeah, that's what happens? Yeah, uh, maybe not. I don't know. I, 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 Hashtag I thought, is it self-crit. I, I took away from that conversation something different. Something like, you know, there's a generational difference between people in Polly's and people in Chris's, which is, you know, Chris wants to be something big and different and better uh, than than whatever, and, and Polly is just content to be where he is and be grateful for it. 
Chris is a lot of is just discontent with not being a made man yet. Mm-hmm. And Polly, who's kind of set at this point, I think is to a certain extent trying to urge patience. So in the middle of this conversation, it seems like it cuts over to a conversation between Chris and Big Pussy. Uh, right. Where my favorite line of the whole cover of the whole episode comes, where uh, where Big Pussy levels with Chris and says, "You know who had an arc? Noah." Right. <laughs> He's As very a, proud of himself too. <laughs> it's a very funny line. It yeah. is very good. Uh, but he's telling Chris, like, we did everything right with email. Like, don't worry about it. But you also get to see that Chris is now, has now reached out for criticism, not just from Polly, not just from the bakery dude, but also Big Pussy and uh, uh, Adriana. You know, he asks, mm-hmm. how's the script going? So he mm-hmm. is, so this is the fourth person that he's, uh, that he's asking for, you know, to grade his homework or whatever. Right, for validation, for a yeah. for, uh, shoulder, uh, an ear to, to bend. Mm-hmm. He's just not um, getting it. Yeah, well, the, the, next, the next guy he tries is, uh, well, I don't even think he, he doesn't go to Tony. I think Tony brings it up, but they have the conversation in the car um, where Tony's asking him, like, how he is. Yeah, what, uh, what, what the fuck is going yeah. on with, with that? Like, where is Tony and why is... Why is he driving all the way out to pick Tony up, wherever Tony so, is? Right, I, and I think this is covered in like the pilot episode, but we haven't really seen it since then. Chris is basically Tony's driver. Yeah. Um, and so he had overslept, and he's going to pick Tony up, and I don't think we know where Tony is specifically. Um, but um, Chris is out there to pick him up, and he's late. That's right, and then Tony slaps him in the face. Okay, yeah, you know how I get what the fuck with... Are you doing? You know how I get with plot and continuity. Right, right. right. <laughs> okay. So, uh, yeah, I'm sorry, Ben. There's not a, a map from Chris's house to where Tony is. Uh-huh. Um, so, so, yeah, so, so Tony slaps him. He's like, what the fuck are you doing? You're running around shooting pastry boys in the foot and digging up bodies. Uh, <laughs> I had to learn it from Georgie. He had puke all over him. He's crying or whatever. And it's like, Jesus and Rachel, Poor Georgie. Rachel, this is where I'm uh, starting to sign on to your uh, daddy Dom theory. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's like the shit out of him. <clears throat> I think I think you've got it. You've got it right. Thank you. Chris is a bratty sub. Chris is a bratty sub. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, he's out there, you know, digging up dead bodies, shooting bakery bros in the foot just to get a little bit of attention from. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and boy does he get some attention mm-hmm. uh, five fingers to the face oh yeah <laughs> uh, oh no, Chris thinks he has cancer right? yeah <laughs> uh, but Tony is playing Dr. Melfi in yes he's like how does that make you feel yeah have you been he asks some prompting questions how have you been you know sleeping or whatever um yeah, I think good for Tony. He's trying. And then it ends up kind of backfiring because Chris is really mean about people with depression and Tony's like feels a little shitty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Chris says that sleep is the only thing that brings him joy with which, boy, oh boy, does that ring true? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Um, but yeah, so then uh, Tony's like, do you ever think about maybe you uh, you have a serotonin problem? I saw it on TV. And he's like, maybe me take Prozac. He says, I'm no mental midget. Yeah. And Tony's just sort of like, fuck. Yeah. Real, real bullshit from Chris. Yeah. He's like, it's yeah. the fucking regularness of life that's getting to me, right? And, right? and I guess they're just laying low until the the indictments come down or something. Is that... Like, so they're not doing anything, right? Right. And, and I mean, he's just got this real ennui about, like, where his life is. And, like, it doesn't seem to be moving forward. Yeah. Um, Which, yeah. you know, relatable. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, That's so, the kind of thing that makes you start a podcast. <laughs> exactly. Uh, maybe you got fired from your job. And, uh, yeah, uh, you're going to talk about The Sopranos. Anyway. Um, <laughs> Um, so then Tony asks if he's committed, if he's, uh, had suicidal ideation, uh, in the best way Tony knows how, which is to put his fingers in his mouth <laughs> and kind of like shoot himself in the mouth. Uh, but she's like, no, no, fuck no. Um, which that's good for Tony for doing a little mental health check on his buddy and his nephew. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted to to also encourage you, dear listeners, to uh, to talk to your friends. And if you notice one of your friends withdrawing, sleeping all the time, showing signs of depression, to talk to them and see how they're doing. If these fucking idiots, three or four of them, can check on Christopher, you can check on your friends uh, who might be struggling as well. Absolutely huge mood. Absolutely. Yes, yes. But Chris says that, uh, that uh, he... Uh, He's not. He's not suicidal, which is good. Uh, if you are having suicidal ideation and thoughts, please talk to somebody. Mm-hmm. I think we should put the suicide hotline number. We will in we'll the episode in, description in the notes. Uh, and this is for real, not a joke. No, uh, it's you not. Can, you can DM me. Uh, I or will me. Talk to you. I have depression, and I will fucking listen and try to help. Same. So. I will. I, you can DM me, but I'm just going to tell you to DM John and Rachel. <laughs> okay, <Yeah>. so <laughs> maybe skip that step. <laughs> um, so then, uh, wrapping up the the Chris storyline, we see Chris uh, next. He's asleep in bed. Uh, it looks like it's supposed to be like the middle of the day. Again, he's he's very depressed. His mom is calling. We get an answering machine. She's like, "I know you're there. I'm worried about you. I just read about you in the Star Ledger." And Chris perks he right lights the fuck up. up. He jumps out of bed. Um, it actually cuts away. We go do some other stuff, and then we cut back to this. But uh, go ahead and finish up the Chris storyline. He goes out, gets the Star Ledger, sees his name, and puts one quarter in, pulls the paper out, sees his name in print, puts another one, and steals all the papers. <laughs> and thus began the legend of Tennessee Multisanti. Oh, my God. So I thought something very... Two things about that that very last scene of the episode that I thought were particularly important. One is about three and a half years ago, I had a letter to the editor published in the Washington Post. <laughs> Holy shit! Uh, oh, send me the link. We'll put it in the notes. I I tried looking for it last night. I couldn't find it, but ah. I, I I did get. The, I found the email from the guy who was like, "Is this this is what we're going to publish? Are we good?" And when it ran, I was like, oh, fuck yeah. And I called yeah, literally right. everybody, like, get your copy of the Washington Post. And they were all like, uh, we don't 
we don't have it. We don't subscribe. But I was like, fuck! <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, totally relatable. But on a more serious thematic uh, note, uh, when, when that scene begins, there's an establishing shot of this beautiful church in, in somewhere in downtown New Jersey. And the shot, like, runs down the runs down the church, and then you see this fucking maniac swerve in the middle of the street <laughs> in parallel parks. And in the Christmas. worst way. Right. And uh, if my significant other were talking, he parks in such a way where you could tell that the music was loud. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and anyway, like, the point is, it's like, the thing that is giving this man... Uh, you know, this poor idiot, the most meaning in this life. It's not his family that's calling to check on him. It's not his friends who are checking on him. It's it's him literally driving by and ignoring religion and, and mm-hmm. any sort of spiritual uh, you know, satisfaction. It's, his, it's being implicated in fucking crime. Right. <laughs> he wants to be famous. He wants to be, or notorious, like... Either one, I think, is going to be fine with him. And whether it's through screenwriting or through shooting a pastry boy in the foot, um, Chris wants people to know his name. Fucking ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, so also uh, worth pointing out in that scene, the song is Cake. The yeah. Song Cake singing Frank Sinatra, which is uh, a reference from earlier in the episode we'll swing back to. Um, but I just want to point out, that song fucking rules. Cake is a good band. Mm-hmm. Um they're very talented. Come on, uh, Gabagool and Roses. And also, cool. uh, uh, a little reference there, cake is a kind of a pastry. Wow. Shit, dude. <laughs> Full fucking circle. Oh, my God. The uh, music supervisor was working overtime. Uh, so that wraps up the Chris storyline. Let's go to uh, to Tony's storyline. Of course, um, Tony is also worried about the indictments, and so he has to do spring cleaning. Uh, and this is uh, maybe one of my favorite parts of the episode, are Tony and Carmela's team-up crime team uh, to hide all the shit. They go home and they're pulling stuff out of the ceiling, like big bundles of money, Uzis and shotguns. Uh <laughs> Carmela's jewelry, including her engagement ring, uh, is definitely stolen. Yeah. He says that it's not. It definitely is. Um, uh, and then AJ is concerned about all of the porno he's been downloading, <laughs> uh, which his sister warns him about, which, gross. Yeah. <laughs> your sibling should not know about your masturbatory habits. Yeah. I, I strongly uh, uh, believe but shout out to Meadow for not kink shaming. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess. Uh, you think AJ Soprano is watching some freak shit? I don't know. No. About that little boy. He's watching here. like. He's not watching big anything. Boobs he's downloading JPEGs. Bouncing around in, like in a GIF format. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I think Rachel would have more to say on porn. Why? Oh my god. Okay, fine. I guess not. All right. I have I have like actual things to say about this episode. So I'm waiting for the recap to be done. I'm and then I'm going to be very serious. <laughs> okay. <Sweet. laughs> so so then uh 
so Tony is what's what is next in Tony's story? Uh, so then they go to Tony has to figure out where to hide all this money and guns, oh, yeah, that and where he decides is uh, the retirement community, Green Grove, in his mother's room. So we see Carmela doing a little manipulating of Livia, the master malip- manipulator. Uh, and getting her out of the room so that Tony can sneak in and hide the guns. Uh, there's also a very good song that plays here, um, and it's Welcome Back by Land of the Loops. Uh, it was also played in the pilot episode, but it's just sort of like a like a electronica kind of a very tense song. Um, I don't know. I really like this, this storyline with, like, Tony and Carmela acting together yeah. to uh, cover up their, their criminal shit. It's nice that they can actually work together. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, so the next part of Tony's storyline that we haven't talked about is when the FBI actually comes to the house. Um, and it's we meet Agent Harris for the first time. Hold on. Uh, yeah. You, you missed an important piece. Go ahead. You missed the part where Tony's in therapy and he's talking to Dr. Melfi about the possibility mm. that he's going to take a vacation. Right. He doesn't know when. And he might not be here next week or sometime, but just so that you know, he's going to be on vacation at some point in time, so keep that in mind. And Dr. Melfi appears to understand what he's talking about, and that's it. Then we have the FBI raid where we meet Agent Harris for the first time. Now, now this is also bothering me. This is the FBI <laughs> raid that is yeah. a long time after they say that indictments are coming. Right. 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 Okay. <laughs> Go ahead, Ben. Yeah, Speak I, on that. You would think that you would get the fucking search warrants executed well before you get the indictments drafted and well <laughs> before you present them to the grand jury. Get Why the evidence because you want to have the evidence before you charge somebody. You can't just make shit up and then go figure it out later. And also, uh, you want to make sure that it's done before the criminals get ahead, get you know the targets get a heads up, heads up. Right to keep them from destroying the evidence, which is what they're doing. Right. We see Big Pussy barbecuing his evidence. Yes, uh, and also let me go back and say not criminals but targets because criminals is uh, a an ableist term. <laughs> no. I feel like I understand what you're trying to say. What I'm saying is nobody is a criminal. There we go. The lumpen proletariat. Yes. So uh, anyway, so just amazing criminal procedure in this case the whole way through <laughs> uh so, so agent harris his attitude is bewildering uh he like knocks on the back door and is like uh we know you've got kids in the house they're being super nice to tony he's being like incredibly incredibly nice, nice and professional um mm-hmm and, uh, and you know, get the kids out of the house, tell them you have visitors, and then we'll just, we'll come in and we won't break the doors down. Um, which, maybe if this was an, an FBI raid in downtown Newark, that would not be fucking happening. Yeah, so, I, can we, I, you let me know, but I, I kind of want to launch into, this episode has a lot of uh, discussion about race and culture mm-hmm. and uh, heritage, uh, particularly Italian 
mm-hmm. heritage. And I think that, you know, a lot of people make the argument in this episode, including mo- most important, importantly, Jennifer Melfi's piece of shit ex-husband, <laughs> yes. that like Italians have been discriminated against and they basically are continuing to be discriminated against because of people like Tony, people who are mafiosos. And there's this very weird... Um, self-pitying mm-hmm. and like victimization of the Italian people that is completely inappropriate <laughs> because it is the year 1999 um, and the FBI it's it's perfect because you see just how fucking privileged Italians have become because the FBI knocks on the fucking back door of Tony Soprano and doesn't bust in there with a full fucking SWAT team and shoot up the place, which they absolutely would do to a non-white person. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And, and that's also, like, at this point in our history, in 1999, Italians are white, quote-unquote white, for whatever that whatever absolutely. class consciousness and, and whatever that carries with it. At maybe one point in our history, they were seen as, as not white, um, but... Uh, yeah, the 19th is, century. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, whiteness is a is an ever-evolving term. And, an, like, as capitalists decide who whether or not they want somebody to buy their products, mm-hmm. they ever expand what whiteness means. Because capitalism requires an endless amount of purchasing and is completely unsustainable. Um, and so because of that, you have to keep people out of capitalism but you also have to introduce new groups into what is considered whiteness and into the, the market so that they can purchase your... It's this whole woke capitalism bullshit. So when Oreo is like, uh, well, happy pride from Oreo, they don't give a shit about LGBT rights. They care about selling fucking Oreos. And if they can sell more Oreos to LGBT folks than their competitors, than Chips Ahoy or whatever, then that's good for the bottom line. And that's on rainbow capitalism. Yeah. So, and, and it works the same way with anything. You know, as as capitalism needs more consumers to buy products, it expands what's considered white. Well, 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 look at us. Yeah, we did a lot Talking about the real things. Uh, so, yeah, so there is a lot of talk in this episode about anti-Italian discrimination by, yes, Melfi's bullshit ex-husband, who is, like, an activist, apparently, for the Italian people. For the, <laughs> oh my god. Uh, Melfi's ex is the perfect encapsulation of what a liberal is. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh my god. <laughs> well, and look at how he talks about crime um, and how he talks about Tony and calling him, you know, there's good and evil. And he even criticizes Melfi's, I guess, former moral relativist philosophy. Bless you. Excuse me. Thank you. Um, and <clears throat> he he calls Tony subhuman. Um, and I think that that's... We see a lot of good... Um, I'm glad that they introduced the ex-husband because it mm-hmm. kind of provides some good bounce off, uh, bouncing off points for Melfi. And we see how she is pretty... She, she basically has a moral 
um, dilemma in that she feels for this person who, though he is, a, you know, a mafioso, that doesn't mean that he is an evil person. Right. And that's, you know, a central tenet of prison abolition is that we can't we can't dehumanize people because they have committed quote-unquote crimes right Mm -hmm. and and even more so perhaps he's he's deserving of mental health treatment and to just cut him off completely from mental health treatment is not the right way to go um he's a a human being uh although i give him shit for being a hulking psychopath he deserves uh, access to a psychiatrist and uh, and mental health treatment. Mm-hmm. Man, fuck that so. guy. Fuck that. Fuck Melfi's dude. Okay, can we talk about that storyline now? Let's. Fuck yeah, we, and we also find out. Uh, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. We'll talk about the storyline. Go ahead, Ben. God damn. So, it begins with uh, the large adult son of Doctor Melfi just being Jason. Just thrilled. kind of a cutie, by the way. Yeah, I was like, is that like a young Bill Hader? Like, yes, he <laughs> yes. did fucking look like Bill Hader. Hell yes. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, he's kind of also a shithead. Yeah, he has some fail son energy. He does, but he also, I think, I I feel hope for him. So, like, so, he seems to be in agreement with his mom. So he's like, oh, grandma or nana or whatever. Oh my god, this Ginzo gravy <laughs> is awesome. And it's like. It's like, that word is offensive. Don't use the word Ginzo. And then we learn what Ginzo means. And uh, <clears throat> But not really, right? Like, they no. don't even really explain. He's like, oh, it's a derivative from Guinea. And then he's like, well, what does Guinea mean? And he's like, it's offensive. Right. And what it really is is racist. Uh, and it's an anti-black slur. Um, but, of course... What what Melfi's ex is most concerned about is that it's an anti-Italian slur. Right, right. So they have a, and Rachel, I agree with you that John is right. This is a delicious dinner. <laughs> yes, right. Oh the food looks so good. Oh shit! It's I was so hungry watching this, uh, and uh, yeah, they have this long conversation. You know about whether or not Melfi should uh, continue treating this guy. uh, Well, it's kind of a conversation. It's more people telling her she shouldn't and her being like, God damn it, I shouldn't have fucking brought it up. Which, how dare you? She is a professional. She is a doctor. She's a grown-ass woman. Yes. Fuck Mm -hmm. you. Anyway. So anyway, our guy, Jared? Jason? Jason. He's at Bard, which, mm-hmm. uh, shout out to the uh, nerdy-ass liberal arts colleges in uh, New England, waiting on Nana's care package. Uh, what happens What happens next in the Melfi scene? Are they- so next I think we see her, she is uh, out with the ex-husband, and they're looking at a plot of land that they were going to, that they had bought. To, and he said that they bought it as an investment. She's like, we bought it to build a house on. Then she starts giving him a hard time for, uh, since her only dating uh, Irish girls. Colleen's. <laughs> Colleen's, she calls them. Uh, and, and does a little Freudian analysis on him, mm-hmm. saying that uh, she was just a mother figure for him. And that's why he only, dates, uh, he only dates freckles. Uh, giving it back a little bit. Mm-hmm. For sure. We like to see it. He's a caricature. I mean, I... Fucking lib. Yeah, so then the next... And this is sort of... This is the next to last scene. 
of the episode is them in family therapy together with uh, with Elliot, the doctor. Um, and uh, we found out Jason is moving into a non-smoking dorm. Uh, I was not in college when they had smoking and non-smoking dorms. So that whole idea is alien to me. And God, I can only imagine how bad a smoking dorm must have smelled. Mm-hmm. I live in a, an apartment complex and it's like uh, four units to a building. And they're these old brick, uh, po- like post-World War II buildings. And they are smoking buildings. And one of my friends lives in one of those buildings, and it, it really is fucking disgusting to walk in there. It's just like the smell of, like, college plus cigarettes. Yes. Gag-inducing. Yeah. Even maybe worse than email's body. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> uh, and, so, and so now her therapist is going to go in on her about seeing this patient. Yet another example of unprofessional behavior from yes. therapists. Also, it seems like he's a family friend of theirs, and like maybe don't go to your family friend for family therapy. Right, for sure. Or uh, at least that they've been seeing him or something for a while. Yeah. yeah. But it was so uncomfortable. They're all just sitting at his desk. Mm-hmm. I, I can't imagine a more... that. I mean, poor fucking Jason. He is going to be fucked up. <laughs> I mean, he's, yeah. The family therapist is like, "Look, you can get out of out of treating this guy. You know that." And so right. now, all of these people are telling him, uh, telling Doctor Melby to get out of it. Um, so the last uh, bit of story here is Junior and Livia uh, at the retirement home. Uh, excuse me, the retirement community. Uh, and for, well, we open on a stand-up who is. Sort of a caricature of like a bad stand-up, but I think that the jokes aren't that bad. Um, another reference, tough crowd, to be fair. Yeah, yes, uh, a near catatonic crowd. Um, uh, one of the references made here is another reference to movie writing, um, which is he says, "Have you seen the Polish version of Rashomon?" Oh my God! Everyone remembers the rape the same. Jesus. Um, of course, Rashomon is the Kurosawa film about everyone it's it's about a rape and everyone remembers it differently and so you see it through the character's eyes and it's a really great piece of screenwriting um and a legendary piece of screenwriting lens um, it's it's the origin of the term rashomon style yes. storytelling right uh, where you see the uh, there's no objective truth um and you just see what happened from different characters perspectives but during this conversation with livia and junior Livia finally spills the beans to Junior and tells him that Tony is seeing a psychiatrist. Well, no, she told him in the last episode, but Jack or Junior was distracted, right? I think she tried to. In the she last tried episode. to. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, and he wasn't picking up what she was putting down, and then Tony got there before she could really mm-hmm. say it. So, um, hey, Livia, maybe it's not your fucking business. Number one, <laughs> and maybe number two. Um, that's like selling your son out because like junior as we know is not brilliant and they're all being they're all scared of this indictment shit that's about to happen like maybe don't run around telling your mob boss brother-in-law that your son is talking to a therapist Mm -hmm. um because i don't i don't know for sure but like 
we do know that none of those people have any grasp on what a therapist actually does and i'm sure there's that some paranoia could set in on junior's part and he's gonna be concerned that he's talking yeah and and livia it seems her the concern that she voices is that he's talking about his mother right not that he's like talking about the business or whatever and then very weirdly she says i don't want anything done about it yeah uh, meaning, like, I don't want anything to happen to Tony. And that sort of makes you wonder about, like, what is Livia's role in the larger scope of the family? Like, she's telling the boss of the yes. family, I don't want anything done about it. What is? What do you guys think about Junior and Livia's relationship? Oh, I thought a lot about it. So, <laughs> well, then why don't you go ahead? <laughs> well... <clears throat> It's very clear to me that that Livia has uh, authority in that relationship and whether or not it is anything more than, um, you know, Junior having loyalty to her as his dead brother's wife or it's something else. I don't know. Um, but it she is we know she's a master manipulator. And it was funny because when Tony was hiding all the, the stuff in Livia's uh, retirement apartment I started to kind of wonder if she I don't know I, I it seems like maybe there's a little bit of hinting that she has a bigger role in the organization I think that Livia will tell Junior exactly what she wants done but phrase it in such a way as she's asking for the exact opposite so yeah. back, back when you know, they were stressing Brendan what Brendan was doing. I think she was like, I think he needs a talking to. Mm-hmm. Talking to meant bullet in the face? I don't think so. But, <laughs> right. you know, in watching this episode, it, it sounds like Livia is going out of her way to say, I know what's going on. I know that you're having these, these business headaches or whatever. I know that you're trying to figure out where everything went wrong. And I just want you to know that there is a leak in the hull of this ship. And Tony is talking to a therapist, so yep. I don't want anything to happen to him. Okay, but what does that mean? just throwing it out there. Does that mean uh, shake down Tony and get the therapist's name? Does that mean make Tony discontinue going to therapy? Does that mean kill Tony? What does it mean? I, right. I, I, for sure, I mean, she's she is very reckless with her words. And she's a bad mom. <laughs> yes. Honestly, one of the worst moms I've ever witnessed. <laughs> like, how the fuck are you going to sell your fucking own son out? Holy shit. Uh, I want to quickly shout out uh, one of our dear listeners and comrades, uh, Sydney, who tweeted asking whether uh, there might be a romantic relationship between Livia and Junior. Mm. You guys have any thoughts about that? Uh, There's some. They kind of seem maybe a little flirty. Somehow. I could see maybe Junior having a big old crush on Livia, mm-hmm. his brother's wife. Yeah, a little uh, Hunter Biden action going on there. Um, so uh, Junior is in charge of a Russian gas company. What mm-hmm. was it? Hunter Biden did. I don't remember. Anyway. Burisma. I don't know. Burisma. We don't watch, I don't think we watch MSNBC enough. That's lib shit. <laughs> 
<laughs> Maybe um, you watch MSNBC the exact right amount. Right. But it, you two, dear listeners, can also be shouted out on episodes if you tweet at Pod Sopranos. That's our Twitter account. Just talk to us. Yeah. Let us know what you're thinking about the episodes. Um, uh, so that basically, so there, there's one scene that we didn't uh, really talk about. It's the family dinner. Loved that. We see uh, Melfi's family dinner, and then we get to see Tony's family dinner after the raid, where they're talking about the history the of famous Italian discrimination. And the fa- all the famous Italians and that the famous did things that we didn't know that they did. Right. Uh, the guy who invented the telephone. Um, they talk about Sacco and Vanzetti. Uh, talk about leftists. Uh Famous anarchists, yeah. Italian anarchists, Antichrists. Antichrist is our famous, our favorite fail son. AJ Soprano insists <laughs> that it's Antichrists. Um, Meadow is being a little brat in this scene. Rachel, I wondered if you had any thoughts about Meadow being like, let's talk about the mafia. I fucking, again, love her. She's like, you know what? I'm not going to live in this bullshit world that you are all living in where, like, Italians are the greatest humans to ever exist. Like, remember, you, you're completely discounting an entire part of our uh, history. And, um, you know, I also, I love a little uh, shit stirrer. And she does correctly point out the guy who started the Italian Anti-Defamation League was a yes. fucking mobster <laughs> and was using it to uh, to um, launder money through. Mm-hmm. Which I also, I love that Meadow has clearly done her fucking research. Right. Like, she's a smart gal. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, they're talking about they're talking about famous Italians. They mention uh, Francis Albert. Do you guys know who that is? No. He has another name you might recognize. Okay. Frank Sinatra. <gasps> like the cake song Frank Sinatra oh. that plays at the end of the episode. Interesting. Um, so, yeah. So they, they talk about some uh, some famous Italians. The guy who discovered Canada or whatever. Yeah. Uh, cool. not, not the guy who discovered America. Right. Margo <laughs> Vespucci. Vespucci. Or Did he discover it or he just drew it first? Um, Honestly, who cares? They're all yeah. colonizers. Fuck them. America, ca, ca. Okay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do our uh, our roundup little bits here at the end. Um, you guys, who was horniest this episode? Ooh. Uh, I think it's got to be Chris. Okay. He had a horny dream. And it was weird. He did have... Is it a horny dream when the dream is about you getting your dick chomped off? I, yeah, in a way. Mm-mm. Okay. We Speak already know that. he's into some, some, you know, some, some BDSM type shit. Maybe he's, <laughs> I, listen, I'm not here to kink shame. I am simply saying that maybe he is reckoning with some sexual anxiety. Mm-hmm. And because it is remotely sexual, I'm going to say that he's the horniest. Okay. I don't have great backup, but you asked me the question. I'm answering. Polly. Yeah, that's my pick as well. He is the horniest. Polly was going to go fuck some girls with Chris. So shout out to Polly. Get your dick wet. Well, it's not a very horny episode. No, it's not. Well, we all remember who won the poll last time. So. (laughs) Okay. Wow, you're gonna lord that over us? Okay. Wow. Um, who do we stand? Ben, did you have a stand for this week? 
You're fucking better. Uh, yeah, this week um, <clears throat> I am going to go ahead and stand Meadow. Nice. Okay. Me- uh, Meadow correctly, as Rachel was discussing, pushes back on this, you know, oh, poor me, the victim, the Italian-American to Tony Soprano, who is, you know, bemoaning uh, anti-Italian-American uh, stereotypes while living the anti-Italian stereotype, as if to say, shut the fuck up, you hypocrite. So, uh, by Stan Meadow. She also, you know, warns her little brother about his pornos. Yeah, so, <laughs> so. Shout, out, shout out to Meadow for not doing any drugs for once. And Yeah, uh, good job. Conflict is a drug, and Meadow is shooting it up. All right. <laughs> Rachel, who do you stand? Uh, I stand Dr. Melfi. I, God damn it. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. No, okay. I she she this was the first episode where I like really liked her and um I liked seeing her it, I I enjoyed the show really portraying how empathetic she is and like I think I think um having those two other idiot psychiatrists <laughs> kind of play her foil, I really I appreciated because um, I have kind of been on the fence about her, but now I'm like, oh, you know what? She she's this is a person who is trying to be a good person. And so, uh, yeah, I also picked Dr. Melfi, uh, and part of it for me was also that she stands up to everybody yeah. in this episode, yes. to Tony, to her ex, to her therapist. Um, she's not taking shit from anybody. She's like, I'm a fucking professional. I'm gonna do my job. Fuck everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, but since we don't pick the same stands, uh, <laughs> then uh, I am forced to choose another stand. Uh, and uh, although I want to always say Carmela, I think she is great in this episode, um, I will choose to stand Jason for standing up for his mom. That was my second choice. Uh, also, congrats on kicking smoking, my guy, and getting in that non-smoking dorm. Yeah. Um, that's, that's good. Um, but yeah, but he he stood up for his mom. He wasn't taking any of his dad's stupid anti-Italian bullshit, um, and he is right in that like Italian uh, cinema is American cinema. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I this, stand Jason. You know, like this whole Orientalized uh, version of Italian Americans is just so so fucking strange to me. I don't get it. It's yeah. just like looking for pity. <laughs> <laughs> for themselves <clears throat> they're all upper class upper middle class people it's not like we're seeing like poor italians right. they're literally all like wealthy educated like it's so ridiculous but woe is me right and, and i don't think the show uh i don't think the show disagrees with that view right um, i think the show is is pimping that view to a certain extent of, yeah like, uh, don't forget that Italians were discriminated against when you call these guys dumb Ginzo greaseballs or whatever. They are dumb Ginzo greaseballs, and they can go to hell. Anyway. Well. Um, all right, so let's do the dialectic. Every week we do the dialectic, which is not really how dialectics works. Please read the Wikipedia. Or I always say read the Wikipedia. Read fucking on dialectics. Um, but, you know, you can start with the Wikipedia. Um we do uh, the thesis, which is something that we liked, the antithesis, which is something that we didn't like, and the synthesis, which is something that we loved. Um, I see Rachel is making notes. 
And Ben is also looking down. I can as do if it. To say, I'm not ready yet. I can do it. All right, Rachel, go ahead. Okay, so um, something that I liked was the comedian. Um, I, I, I wrote down a little line that I w- did not have time to workshop, but I did say the comedian is doing his best impression of me on the podcast, um, where he, like, it, I don't think that that's fair just yet because I haven't had a lot of uh, bad joke misses but in regular life i'm constantly making stupid jokes and uh when nobody laughs at them i am unashamedly asking why no one will laugh and requesting sympathy like please fucking laugh please clap do you also have a a bob dylan impression that you'd like i actually do so (laughs) funny that you ask um I one of my favorite impressions is Bob Dylan singing other people's songs, mm-hmm. and um, so I do. My favorite is to do a little of this. Sing us a song, you're the piano man. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, that's. <laughs> no, do you want to actually do an impression though? No, I hate Bob Dylan. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, no, that that is how that's my regular voice. Um, also, I've I've done that impression to people who like Bob Dylan. They're all men, and then they in they just without fail will come back at me with a better quote unquote Bob Dylan impression. And it's like, well, yeah, of course it's better. Number one, you listen to that nerd, and number two, you you know have I, I'm I am a. I can't sing like Bob Dylan. What the fuck? I'm I'm a 26 year old girl. I don't fucking. Ha- but yeah, you go can do off. Anything you want. Rachel. Okay. You well, whatever. Want. Anyway, <laughs> great. I feel for that comedian big time. Well, I'm glad you said that before I did my Bob Dylan impression. No. We can have. <laughs> I would love for all of us to do our Bob Dylan impressions. Um, perhaps even you know I'm always thinking of Patreon ideas which we still haven't set up. But <laughs> do. Dueling, dueling Bob Dylan. Dialectic. Oh, here I am on the stage again. Ooh, for anybody yeah. that hasn't seen it, please look on YouTube at Bob Dylan's Live Aid performance oh uh, with uh, two of the Rolling Stones and somebody else it's very bad anyway okay rachel is it fair to say you're obsessed with live aid it is fair to say that i'm obsessed with live aid and if anybody wants to talk about it you know my twitter handle um okay so the thing that i did not like was carmella fucking wears a an off-white dress and shrug to the wedding and that is fucking tacky it is it's fucking tacky it may not exactly be white but it is definitely like cream or ivory (laughs) and i that's the biggest fucking no-no at a wedding is you don't wear it's not even like a white dress with a Mm -hmm. colorful shrug or whatever cardigan it is fully white it is so tacky and i hate it carm you did not i mean listen you looked fantastic but like please don't don't do that mm-hmm. um so i didn't care for that and then what i loved was our buddy christopher uh has a little 
love note to Blockbuster mm. <laughs> video rental that uh, he says to um, Drea De Mateo, and it's the it is absolutely the perfect uh, encapsulation of what idiot dudes who think they can be screenwriters <laughs> feel about movies like not he doesn't like going to like the cinema he didn't even say like oh i love to go to the movies and like get popcorn the small popcorn and 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 the big screen and the previews he likes fucking blockbuster which number one doesn't help the show age well and number two is like <laughs> blockbuster is disgusting it was disgusting mm-hmm. it is weird and vinyl smelly and like I, you do not lend credit to yourself as a film buff by being like i love you know what i fucking love blockbuster right he, he, th- he does say the smell of it gets him high and yeah <laughs> The mix of carpet and candy, which is pretty accurate yeah. as far as what I remember of what Blockbuster smells like. But yeah, it's not like the smell of film or like the smell right. of, of popcorn. Uh, it's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because you're going to rent a fucking uh, Steven Seagal movie. Yeah. But I love that because it just, it really, it was a good roast of Christopher. You know? Like, mm-hmm. look at this fucking schmuck. <laughs> he loves Blockbuster. God, he sucks. <laughs> <laughs> and what did you love? That was what I loved. Oh, that oh, is. I, what you yeah. Loved. I'm sorry. I know it sounded like I hated it. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's how I, I think she feel about most things I love. Dumbass. I do love. I you. Know, I love a roast. Ben, what about you? So one thing I liked uh, was Tony's uh, no nothingness. Uh, when he's explaining to his son uh, where uh, where and why spaghetti or where spaghetti comes from, you know, <laughs> right? AJ AJ says, "Is it true that spaghetti came from China?" And Tony, obviously not knowing the answer, uh, reasons or how to that, use chopsticks. <laughs> yes, <laughs> like like that's his rationale for why. China could not have invented uh, spaghetti. <laughs> it's just like, uh, shout out to my dad. I could totally see my dad doing this. One time... <laughs> shout out to dads. Yeah, one time uh, I asked my dad something extremely stupid about carrots. And my dad said to me, no, 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 carrots will make your eyes very strong. And I said, how do you know? And he said, have you ever seen a bunny wear glasses? <laughs> 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 I said, no, fair point, yeah. <laughs> it's real, like, Calvin's dad shit. Yeah. So, uh, shout out to him. Uh, something I did not like about this episode was uh, fucking Melfi's husband, ex-husband. Fuck that guy forever. Uh, I mean, I, I think that he is a... Uh, you know, not, not only, like, does he represent everything that's bad and awful... Uh, and shitty, you know, by some sort of like prissy liberal bitch. But he's also just like a like. There's no nuance to him either. Like, not not only does is he bad like substantively, but just on a more meta level, he's just a poorly developed and executed character. So fuck that guy. Uh, one thing that I love about this episode, uh, I. 
I did love the uh, I, I did love the arc of of Christopher. I, I loved I loved that last scene very much of um, of him swerving into the parking uh, space and, and getting the <laughs> uh, I, I, for all the reasons I said earlier. Uh, I, I remember that feeling, <laughs> and also I think that it ties in very thematically uh, to Christopher's arc that he actually does have. So depression cured, yep. right? By a little notoriety. How about you, John? Oh, thank you, Ben. Um, so uh, what I liked on this episode is we actually we've had a lot of talk about Tony's depression. But I feel like in this episode, we get to see what depression really looks like in Chris. Um, he's sleeping all the time. He doesn't have interest in, in the things he's normally interested in. Um, he's really struggling with his screenplay and his like thought process and that kind of thing. All symptoms of depression. And his home um, so is a mess. His home is a fucking mess. Because like when you are depressed, you don't have energy to do that shit. Um, because your brain is fucking sabotaging you. Um so I got a little personal there. Anyway, um, so I really think uh, I really like the um, I really like the the show taking the time to like show us what depression looks like and doing a pretty good fucking job at it. Um, been similar to you, I hated all of the anti-Italian discrimination talk um, for and also for the reasons that we've discussed, just because it's fucking bullshit. In when this was filmed, it's. 1999, like the fucking coppers aren't busting in and like breaking up your tenement mm-hmm. square or your like bread bakers <laughs> union or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, shut the fuck up. Like, <laughs> you live in this crazy house. Like, you pull down so much money. Uh, and yeah, and you are not being prosecuted because you are Italian, Tony. You're being prosecuted because you uh, are breaking the law. Um, and although crimes are cool, some of the ones that you're doing are not so cool. Yeah, like murder. Murder, not cool. Murder, not cool. Money laundering um, is fine. Money laundering <laughs> is fine. Running women, not cool. Sex workers should be independent. Truck robbery is fine. Truck robbery is fine. <laughs> uh, murder during the truck robbery, not fine. <laughs> should we go through the rest of them? All of the crimes. Uh, hitting women not no okay we're not doing this uh all right so the thing that i love my synthesis for the week i love tony and carmella being pointed in the same direction and Mm. working towards a common goal yeah and you get to see that dynamic in their relationship uh which is really cool um carmella willing to accept that like most of her jewelry is stolen but not her fucking engagement ring that's great um but i i love them like working together to hide the all of the evidence um, yeah, that was really cool. So that's the dialectic for this week, folks. That was so sh- short. Yeah, I feel like yours was very short, John. Oh, well. But I'm s- no pressure. <laughs> I mean, we've also been recording for an hour and a half. How have we been going? Oh, oh boy, yeah, we have. <laughs> Uh, so, folks, thank you for joining us on what will probably be a supersized episode of uh, of Gabagool and Roses. What's the name of our podcast? Um, of Gabagool and Roses. We are um, online on Twitter at Pod Sopranos, P-O-D-S-O-P-R-A-N-O-S. We are the most online. Um, shout outs to all of you, our dear listeners. Uh, please remember to tell a friend about the podcast. 
Um, and make sure that you tell them that you don't have to have seen The Sopranos before to enjoy the show. We're taking it episode by episode, so... Yeah, uh, I literally haven't seen Beyond Episode 8, so... Right. Yeah. The next episode, uh, Episode 9, is called Boca, and boy oh boy, guys, we are going to have some real fun stuff to talk about. Ooh, I feel... Yes. Um... It's, it's going to be fun. Uh, I think Rachel especially is going to be apoplectic next week, and I won't say anything more about it. Have you seen the episode already? No, but I, I feel like the name is given a little bit away. Maybe not? Maybe, does maybe Does it have not. to do with Florida Jews? It does not have to do with Florida Jews. Oh, that's what I associate. <laughs> it does have to do with Florida. I, um, that's what I associate Boca with. Yeah. Doesn't Boca mean mouth? We'll see next episode. <laughs> yeah, Boca Raton means uh, mouth, of- mouth of the rat, and it is where 98% of my Jewish family lives. Shout out to the Jewish family. Shouts out to Boca. Shouts out to the Florida Jews. And shouts out to next episode. And shouts out to you. <laughs> <laughs> boy, oh boy. Um, all right. So... <laughs> Uh, I've been John. I've been Rachel. And I've been Woody. Oh, no. We love to see it. Uh, and until next week, take your meds, go to therapy, and organize for the revolution. We love you. Love you. And the radio is on, and the radio man is speaking, and the radio man says women were a curse. So men built Paramount Studios. And Mendel Columbia Studios. And Mendel Los Angeles. It is 5 a.m. And you are listening to Los Angeles. It is 5 a.m. And you are listening to Los Angeles.
five feet long and luminous. As the radio man says, it is 5 a.m. and the sun has charred the other side of the world and come back to us and painted the smoke over our heads an imperial violet. It is 5 a.m. and you are listening to Los Angeles. It is 5 a.m. and you are listening to Los Angeles. You are listening. like a pussy like fuck off you look like a pussy 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 fuck off love you